0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah, run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Thank you for joining me
1: at Beside Still Waters. We're starting a new series, one uh, in which I'm really excited to uh, jump into and uh, challenge your hearts, challenge your faith walk, if you will, and uh, the name of this series is What If. What If. When we think of a what-if scenario, we are essentially arriving at a crossroads, and uh, typically one can go the path most traveled, or you can ask yourself, what if I took the path less traveled? From our Put a Band-Aid on It series, we were in a bit of a quandary in terms of looking at a contradiction or seeming contradiction when David numbered Israel. And on one hand, in 2 Samuel 24, the first verse, we learned that Jehovah moved David to number the people. But when we go to First Chronicles chapter 21, the first two verses, we learned that Satan stood up against Israel. And so this seems like a contradiction of terms. Nonetheless, as we did a, a bit of a, a deep dive uh, into the scriptures, we found that the kings... Uh, As we are told in Deuteronomy chapter 17, the kings had a personal responsibility to write a copy of the law for themselves, and in doing so, uh, they would get a better sense of what was expected of them. The conclusion that we can draw is, from God's standpoint, ignorance is not an excuse And unfortunately, because of David's ignorance of what the law demanded or expected or what Jehovah expected, as is outlined in the law, uh, innocent people were impacted. So that scenario brings us to this new series, What If? What If? And we will look at uh, two or three different scenarios uh, in which uh, that question presents itself. The first one uh, is Moses when he, in leading the nation of Israel, came to the Red Sea. And at that point, they saw the Egyptians coming after them. And we'll take a closer look uh, but essentially, essentially, just to set the stage for what we are going to be sharing together and where I want to challenge you in your walk with God and uh, challenge you to take the road less traveled. And the road less traveled is a new learning, a new development, a new point of growth in your relationship with God. A new point of trust, a deeper place of trust and dependence. And so when we, when we go back to the narrative, which uh, essentially is in chapter 14 of Exodus, uh, as you could see, when the, when the people were uh, alarmed that the Egyptians were just over the horizon and coming for them, this spelled certain doom. And uh, at that point, uh, Moses encourages the people by simply saying a a well-known verse, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of Jehovah, which he will work for you today. And then he gave them the assurance that the Egyptians, which they see today, they shall see them again no more forever. And at that point, he said this in verse 14, that Jehovah will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You will be still. You'll be quiet. But this is the the what if point right here. In the next verse, Jehovah said to Moses, why do you cry unto me? Why do you cry unto me? Why are you calling out to me? Now that seems like an odd question for the God of heaven and earth to say to a man who's leading a people who, uh, in aggregate, are at risk of being annihilated by the Egyptians. And it would make sense that they would cry to Jehovah. But he says it to Moses, why are you crying to me? Well, let's, let's, let's step back for a moment and look at Moses with, with a little more clarity. Because at the end of this conversation, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. I want to challenge you to make a decision. Moses met Jehovah at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And that was an an interesting development because the bush was burned but not consumed. So that was the first evidence of a miracle. And of course in chapters 3 and 4 the encounter unfolds for us as God is explaining to Moses that he was fully aware of the plight of the nation of Israel and he selected, called if you will, Moses to be that deliverer. And then he received, uh, in in chapter 4, around the 12th to maybe the 17th verse, he received great divine assurances of deliverance. And not only so, but we learned that in in chapter 6, first 10 verses, when he presented himself to to, uh, Pharaoh, that the circumstances were exacerbated, and the people were now commanded to still make the same tally of bricks, but they were required to, uh, if you will, gather the stuff from which the bricks would be made, and not any other peoples, or not the Egyptians, but they would be required to gather the, the raw materials and make the bricks. So their plight was worsened. And so in in chapter 7 through chapters 9, okay, and I'm really fast forwarding here for a reason, but when circumstances appeared to be dire, what we were seeing is every time Moses executed on a point of obedience, Jehovah then responded to him and gave him directions for the next step. And so throughout the uh, narrative uh, or the account of these judgments, we begin to see a pattern, twofold. Not only was Jehovah revealing himself to this man, this leader, after each point of obedience, Okay, so that that was becoming an unbroken fellowship with God, an awareness of the ways of God. This is what Moses was learning at each point of of, uh, obedience. The second point is is extremely important and germane to this what-if scenario. And that is, Jehovah promised to reveal himself to the Egyptians as a people. And we find that in chapter 7. In chapter 8, he promised to reveal his uniqueness to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a polytheist. But their gods were gods of wood and stone and, and whatever precious metals. But they were just lifeless caricatures. Whereas Jehovah promised to reveal the fact that he, that is Jehovah, is a living God. And then in chapter 8 he promised to reveal himself to both nations, both Israel and <clears throat> excuse me, and Egypt. And then in chapter 9 he promised to reveal himself if you will to the whole earth. So this is an unfolding revelation as to the nature and workings and ways and person of Jehovah. So we can conclude that there was a dual purpose. There were promises made to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promises to a people connected to a land, promises of a God who would be a personal God to a nation and peoples and person. It became personal now. But God also wanted to reveal himself to people in aggregate. And the conduit for this revelation, for this deepening walk with a specific nation, and the conduit to reveal at large himself to the world, Moses would be that central figure, that that. That fulcrum, that, that, if you will, the, the hinge upon which the entire process turned. So Moses, as the divinely appointed national representative for Israel before Egypt, and the conduit through which Jehovah would work to reveal himself, all centered around this man having this unique relationship with God after each point of obedience, Jehovah initiated the next step. And Moses simply walked moment by moment into each unfolding circumstance. So here's the first important takeaway Moses received firsthand experience of walking with God. And this is the fundamental privilege that you and I as the children of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the privilege that we can enjoy if we would but follow the pattern that the Spirit of God is showing us in the life of this man that as he focused on simply responding in obedience to please the spirit of god within him the next step was made clear moses received firsthand experience of walking with god now that brings us to you know an- another important Uh, fact here, and that is building on your walk with God, building on it, build upon it. Sometimes people, Christians, want to have uh, a more intimate walk with God. They, They want that. You know, they want to be able to cry out to God and supplicate him regarding their needs, if you will. And sometimes are troubled that they don't have a richer experience of walking with God. But oftentimes, what is omitted or neglected is the point of obedience, simply following through on what we know to be our responsibility before God for no other reason <clears throat> except to please him. We learn, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that our Lord Jesus Christ, we, the, uh, Paul exhorted Christians uh, to walk in love even, even as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet aroma. So the objective of Calvary was to please the Father. The beneficiaries of the cross work, the Calvary, the sacrifice, was you and me. We were the beneficiaries of his love to God. And now we see in the life of Moses that the people became, that is Israelites, became the beneficiaries of his willing and humble response to Jehovah in obedience to what was asked of him, and then the next step would be made clear. Jehovah allowed Moses to receive next step directions. Whether it be for judgment, meaning the plagues that were executed upon the land, upon their captors, or just in the uh, expansion of the promises of God and the, the uh, uh, growing awareness that Jehovah was mindful of the suffering of his people. So there's an intimate fellowship here. And I, I don't always like to use terms that are, Uh, unique to uh, the, the basic Christian understanding, but there was an unfolding, intimate relating between a man and God. Jehovah kept speaking as long as Moses kept responding. And all through this dynamic of responding in obedience and receiving direction by the Spirit of God, by Jehovah himself, we find that at no point was Moses actually pausing to do what we all do, which is pray. And it tells you something about the nature of intimacy with God. Prayer is that conduit, that, um, that means to an end. But just as conversation between two people becomes a means to an end and you ask yourself well what is the what is the purpose of a conversation between two people who are uh, you know who may share uh, a certain affinity for each other the objective is to grow in their understanding and intimacy of a friendship but the conversing the give and take back and forth of ideas and commonalities and a sharing of what is mutually enjoyed builds something that wasn't there heretofore, and that is intimacy. And so what is happening is that Moses is growing in an intimate walk with God at such a rapid pace that as he obeys and as his heart and mind and spirit is open to Jehovah, Jehovah can just simply speak to him and tell him the next step. And so we're beginning to see the pattern unfold. So it brings us now to a what-if circumstance. And that is what we find in Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, the Israelites now see the Egyptians coming. And we're told that as, as Pharaoh approached and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and saw the Egyptians, that the children of Israel, were they were afraid. <clears throat> and then they, of course, chided Moses because they said, well, weren't there graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the wilderness? So, rightfully so, the, the nation is afraid. And then they went on to say, this is what we told you when we were in Egypt, to leave us alone. We'll serve the Egyptians. But what happens to many of us in the moment of crisis is we forget (laughs) how bad the the previous crisis was, which compelled us to cry to God to deliver us from that crisis. And now that God is at work to deliver us, we find that "Mm, maybe circumstances are getting a little worse than we even anticipated. So I can't blame the people. But Moses was the one who sat in the very presence of God and was told to remove his sandals because the place whereon he stood was holy. So he had something that the people did not, and that is an intimate uh, relationship, a connection, a dynamic uh, interaction with the living God himself. And now, having been in God's presence, having received the promises, having been told to go back to to, uh, Egypt, having stood in Pharaoh's presence, and having been the conduit through which great and unseen, unimagined judgments fell upon a nation through one man and a shepherd's staff with his uh, brother to be his spokesperson he saw this unfolding, uh, the words escapes me, but if you will, a surreal experience that he himself alone is the person, the means through which God is at work to release and have released a nation as was promised to the forefathers. Now, At that point, Moses, rightfully so, begins to respond to the what-if circumstance. Because at this point, all we were told previously is that uh, Jehovah told him that he will get glory from Pharaoh. But he never told Moses how he would do it. And Moses, rightfully so, taking that initial step of faith, gives the people a promise which many throughout the uh, centuries have, I'm sure, have held on to, to not be fearful, but to see Jehovah's deliverance, see how he is going to deliver. And he gives the outcome before he knew the outcome, that you will never see the Egyptians again. This is going to be the final encounter. But at that point, between the 13th and the 14th verse, he obviously cried to Jehovah, where he was lovingly checked, lovingly rebuked. Why are you crying to me? Now, what happens next is uh, extraordinary because Jehovah tells him to tell the children of Israel, go forward. Now, what's in front of them? the Red Sea. The barrier, the natural barrier is there. Yet Jehovah says, tell them to go forward. And then he gives him instructions to lift up your staff over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel will go on dry ground. So this cry, this is the second most important point, this cry is a momentary contradiction of the pattern that God had been teaching him about, which is the step of obedience and then the insertion of Jehovah into the entire interaction to give him the next step. And then when he obeyed the next step, Jehovah inserted himself yet again and gave him the next step and so forth and so on. But for a moment, (laughs) Moses cried and Jehovah, if you will, stops him right there. Why do you cry to me? Why are you crying to me? Tell them, go forward. And he gives him this instruction before he knew what the quote unquote go forward was going to look like. And then he was told, divide the sea by stretching your staff over it. The what if to Moses was simply this. Given what your walk with me has been, you don't have to necessarily pause to pray because I am with you. Just wait on me and wait for me to work in you, to move circumstances in such a way that you know I am the one that's doing this. I am the same God who spoke to you from the bush that was burning and yet not consumed. Now, this is getting into deep waters because I'm urging the seasoned devotee to take a good look at your walk with God. Look at it. What what has the Lord been teaching you, depending on how long you may have been along this path? What have you been learning about his ways as you sought him in prayer? Have you seen answers to prayer? Have, Have you seen patterns that tells you that indicates to you that God is leading you to learn something new about his ways and his person. We can ask ourselves some questions should Moses have seen the pattern should he had been should he be aware should he have been aware I should say that all he needed to do was obey the next step and God will make the succeeding step, clear. Could he have trusted and waited for Jehovah without having to turn and cry out to God? Because throughout all that was happening in Egypt, he didn't have to cry out to God. Jehovah was making himself quite evident in his life. And so the question becomes, Based on everything that Moses had been learning, would Jehovah make himself self-evident? Would it be clear, would one be able to see the fingerprint of God? Would Moses himself, if you will, be able to see the fingerprint of God on his life, to see the pattern, and therefore, in Instead of responding in the traditional, oh, I'm afraid, I'm crying out for your help, that he would have seen that all I need to do was respond in obedience and the next step would be clear by virtue of the circumstances of God stepping in and giving me direction. Now, that, this brings us to you and me. This is where it, it becomes personal now. Okay? It becomes personal. I'll tell you a story and I'll try to be brief, but I, I, I work in the project management arena professionally and I worked as a contractor. And, and I remember working for a company where they brought me on for six months with the potential to extend the contract for a year. And at each point, uh, after the six month peri- period was coming to an end, I would Set aside time alone with God to ask Him to extend the contract, and, and the Lord had been faithful. Each time uh, it was extended to a year, and then you know I sought Him as it was coming to an end of the year, and it was extended to uh, you know another six months to um, eighteen months. And I was told at that point, well, it could, it could go as much as you know two years, and prematurely, uh, just about when we were give or take. Three, two or three weeks outside of the 18 months coming to an end, the contract was abruptly ended. And we were told it would not be renewed. And of course, all contractors would scamper to try to find the next project or you were essentially unemployed. Well, I decided that I would wait on God and I set aside time of prayer and fasting. And approximately, if you will, three days before I would be rolled off (laughs) from this company and essentially unemployed, I was meditating on this very uh, chapter that uh, we were looking at. And it occurred to me that sometimes the Lord as a pattern in my life, will always allow me to come to a deadline like a, a cliffhanger where there was no other option but either to fall over, <laughs> go over the cliff uh, to my own hurt, or he would step in and deliver. And when I look back at, at, at you know, at, over three and a half decades of walking with God, I found that he would always allow me to come to the very cliffhanger's End. And then he would step in. And this time, as I meditated on this and I looked at the life of Moses, I realized that my what-if was before me. And I remember that day so clearly. I wrote in my journal, I will not pray about this anymore. But I said to the Lord as I wrote it down, I am going to trust you to deliver me at the appointed time before the week is out. And I also said to the Lord, based on the patterns in my life, you're going to take me right up to that Friday, right up to the end of the day before you step in. I was confident of it. And I was so confident that I told the Lord, I will not pray. I will trust you. I will wait for you. And I ceased praying that Wednesday morning. And of course, the enemy came and and tried to assault my thinking. How do you know that God will? What if you're wrong? How do you know He won't disappoint you? You know, you're 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 toying with God. You're testing God. This is wrong. You shouldn't do this. And I simply told the Lord in praise and worship that my trust is in You and You alone. And based on the patterns in my life and my walk with You. I know you will answer. Well, my dear friends, it was so interesting. I spoke with some friends uh, that that Thursday and Friday morning, and they said, Christian, you've lost your mind (laughs) because you have no guarantee that God will actually do this. Well, I am pleased to tell you that it was approximately seven minutes before 5 p.m., which is when I would have been officially off the rolls on Friday of that week. And I was rejoicing in my heart because I knew that I knew based on what the patterns have been in my life and looking at the life of Moses, that this is what the Lord had been teaching me about my walk with him. And would you know, my friends, that as I was standing looking through the door, enjoying the sunset when my phone rang, and on the other line was the director of our group, and we had some small talk, but in my heart I was laughing because I knew what was going to happen. And let me just add this additional wrinkle that I said to myself and I said to the Lord, I know it will be you because not only am I going to be told that I'm going to be kept, but I'm going to be kept for the full two-year duration. And I spoke with my uh, my director and as we exchanged some some small talk and some nicety. She says, I just wanted to let you know that your contract has been renewed. And of course, we we exchanged a good chuckle about it. I don't know what my humorous remark was, but I think I said something to the effect, well, that's a great way to end the Friday. But my friends, I was waiting for one piece of information that would have confirmed that it was the Lord and the Lord alone. And that is extended to the full measure And just about when she said, well, listen, you do have a good weekend, I was still waiting. And she says, oh, I almost forgot. And I thought, here it comes. She says, your contract has been extended to the full measure of October of that year. And I thanked her, and I got off the phone and got on my knees and worshipped the Lord that his word can be trusted Because like Moses, who saw the patterns that he obeyed and the next step was made clear and this continued all the way and he just, this one instant, he cried out to God and was firmly rebuked and told, go forward. And in my circumstance, I also dared To address the what if, that is, what if I went based on the pattern that the Lord had been dealing with me in my life and trusted him to do what he was doing and it did not necessitate prayer, but I had been in a place where I was already trusting him and I could expect that he will simply step in and change my circumstances, and I could, instead of crying out for, you know, supplicating the Lord to intervene, I could spend that time praising and worshiping him for what he has revealed about himself. And I say that to say this to you, my friend. If you draw near to God beside still water and you are consistent in meeting with God, you will begin to see a pattern of his working with you and you will have the pleasure and privilege of being able to trust and praise and worship the living God at times without having to cry out for his intervention because he began to show you how he will work in your life He proves by his word that he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And that before, as he has promised, before you ask, he will answer. And you can live in the expectant presence of God that he is indeed with you. You know, it's like going to your mom and crying because you think she'll never feed you when in fact her pattern has been a faithful uh, preparation of meals day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you can relate to that caregiver, your mother or whomever it might be, that they will continue to be consistent. How much more God, the God of heaven and earth, who gave his only well-beloved son for you as your sin offering before you ever knew that you needed a deliverer, a savior. And if he freely gave you his son, oh, my dear friends, how much, what, what will he withhold from us? What good of wisdom and understanding and the awareness and experience of his presence throughout the vicissitudes of life. What will he withhold? And so I urge you, I encourage you, as you meet with God beside still waters, that you will ask him for the privilege of learning to trust him, to see the patterns of his working in your life, And to know that there are times in your life you don't even have to cry out. You can turn to him in worship and praise and let him know, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you alone. Oh, may God help us to see see the what-if moment. And rather than turning in fear and crying out, perhaps with a measure of unbelief, to dare to believe that God who met us beside still waters will be the God that goes before us,
0: making clear the
1: path we need to walk.
0: Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.